Father, we uh, come to this place in our service now where we try to focus our minds on a passage of Scripture and reflect on what that means for us and what that calls us to. And we would ask you to help us do that this morning. All kinds of things distract us, Lord. Some of us have come here this morning uh, struggling with a spouse or with a child or uh, with issues, um, financial issues, uh, work issues, and help us, God, for the moment to give all of those things to you humbly. Uh, we know, God, you will help us sort those things out. That's the kind of God you are. And right now, we want to give ourselves to you and, and be listeners and uh, be thinkers. This we ask in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen? Amen. Well, we have been studying the book of Romans for some weeks now together, and that's been a great study, one that I'm really enjoying uh, and learning from. And this morning, we're going to shift gears again. Uh, some of you might not even know, but we've also been studying kind of in parallel fashion uh, the Ten Commandments, and we're going to go back to that this morning. Um, we have already looked at and studied the first four commandments, all of which have to do with honoring and serving and worshiping God. In other words, they have kind of a vertical focus to them, the first four. The first commandment said, you will have no other gods before me. The second commandment said, you are not to use images in worship or make graven images uh, for the purpose of bowing down to them. The third commandment said, we were to revere the very name of God. And then the fourth commandment uh, was all about observing the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day in which we set aside our normal activities, activities like work. And uh, we do that for the purpose specifically of gathering together with others to worship God. It's a day to remember and a day to give thanks and praise. And it's a day to study. It's a day to learn about God, about life, about what actually matters most. Now, the remaining six commandments, they shift the focus from the vertical to the horizontal. You may already know that. These commandments shift our thinking away from how we relate to God, specifically to how we relate to each other. Now, understand, the first four laws are all about having and growing a spiritual relationship with God. Nothing is more important than that. Let me say that again. Nothing is more important than having and growing a spiritual relationship with God. Being in right relationship with Jesus affects or is supposed to affect all of our lives, both here and now and right on into eternity. And for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, you haven't made a commitment, an intentional uh, commitment to be following him day in, day out. I've got to say it, and I, I hope I say it in love. I think I do. You need to do that. You need to make the decision to make Jesus your Savior, your Lord, your Master, your God. And if you do that, you'll be prepared for what we're going to study in the next six commandments. Understand, these commandments reveal to us the heart of God. They show us what God's goodness and righteousness look like. And if you love God, then you certainly want to know the will of God and you want to know how to please him, how to honor him, how to serve him. And these commands tell us how to do that. They outline for us how to live a holy, godly life in relation to other people. That's what these commandments are about. 
And if you don't know God, well, then these commandments are just 10 irrelevant frustrations. That's what they are. They're irrelevant because if you don't believe in God and if you don't know and love him or understand how he loves you, well, then who cares about what he says is good or what he says is right or what he says is the moral way to interact with other human beings. They're frustrations because the only source of inner power to obey these commands comes from God, the Holy Spirit himself. You don't believe me? You try to love your unlovable spouse. Anybody here have an unlovable spouse? You see, we're all unlovable at moments. At times, we're, we're all in that category. You try loving an unlovable spouse in your own strength. You will very quickly run out of patience, endurance, and courage to do so long before anything improves or gets better the way it should. Only God can give us the relational courage to learn how to actually trust each other, to learn how to submit, really submit to each other, to die to self and then in turn love another human being. The courage to be corrected by one another when we need correcting, the courage to own and acknowledge our own sin. Here's how I'm failing you. Here's how I'm failing as a spouse, as a parent, whatever. Here's uh, the courage to be honest with one another, to be vulnerable with each other. God gives us the courage to come into community with one another in ways we would never, ever be able to unless we are rightly related to him, grounded by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, God's word and the powerful working of the Holy Spirit with the word is what changes us. It's what transforms us into likeness of Jesus, who, I might add, perfectly obeyed these 10 commandments for us. So you see, the order of the commandments is not accidental. First, they're vertical. They're all about us rightly relating to God through Jesus Christ. And then they shift and they become very horizontal. We work on our relationships with one another, with God's strength, by God's power. That's how we are to understand and approach the Ten Commandments, these spiritual laws. And the fifth commandment, which we are looking at this morning, starts with the most important of relationships. Exodus 20, verse 12. This is what we read. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You see, it's no coincidence that the first law of human relationships is focused on the family. The Bible teaches that the family is the most important unit in society. Uh, an author that I've mentioned before, he's also a pastor. His name is Kevin DeYoung. He wrote the little booklet that I've recommended to you. Uh, it's called The Ten Commandments. He writes these words. He says the parental relationship is the first and most important relationship. It shapes all other relationships. When you come across a kind, considerate, capable person or someone who is hardworking, conscientious, and responsible, more often than not, you owe a great debt of gratitude to that person's parents. Now, Kevin DeYoung's not stupid. So he knows that there are exceptions to this. And he says so. He says, now there are all sorts of exceptions. For example, here's one. Good parents with bad kids. That happens. Happens a lot. And bad parents with good kids. That happens too. 
It happens a lot. But in general, he says, that's the way the world works, the way that God has set up and designed things. And he's making actually a great point, a good observation. As the family goes, so goes society. You see, if the family deteriorates and falls apart, so also will society. I just finished reading a little book not long ago called Hillbilly Elegy or Elegy by J.D. Vance. Some of you may have read the book or seen the movie. Uh, it's a testimony from start to finish about the importance of family in a person's life. Uh, you read the book and you see just vividly displayed before you how the family helps us. And as it turns out, how the family hurts us. All depending on the level of health or dysfunctionality in the family, really. J.D. Vance writes these words. He says, I grew up in the Rust Belt in an Ohio steel town that has been hemorrhaging jobs and hope for as long as I can remember. I have, to put it mildly, a complex relationship with my parents, one of whom has struggled with addiction for nearly my entire life. My grandparents, neither of whom graduated from high school, raised me and few members of my family, extended family, attended college. The statistics tell you that kids like me face a very grim future. That if they're lucky, they'll manage to avoid welfare. And if they're unlucky, they'll die of a heroin overdose as happened to dozens in my small hometown just last year. He continues, I was one of those kids with a grim future. I almost failed out of high school. I nearly gave in to the deep anger and resentment harbored by everyone around me. And by that, he means his family members. Deep resentment and hatred towards people outside the family, people they didn't trust. He said, today, people look at me at my job because he's a very successful lawyer and my Ivy League credentials because he's a graduate of Yale Law School. And they assume that I'm some sort of genius, that only a truly extraordinary person could have made it to where I am today. With all due respect to those people, I think that theory is a load of, and then he uses a word you're not allowed to use in a sermon, we'll just say BS. Whatever talents I have, I almost squandered until, until a handful of loving people rescued me. And by that last statement, he means people like his grandparents who were a huge blessing to him, but also a curse. He also means his sister and he's referring to his aunt and he's referring to an uncle that were like saviors to him at certain moments in his life. He was referring to a handful of teachers, just a few who saw some potential in him and invested in him. He's referring to when he joined the Marine Corps after high school, just a few Marines that invested in him in ways that kept him on a path of not self-destruction. And he's also talking about a couple of professors at Yale. What do they rescue him from? Well, many times <laughs> they were rescuing him from members of his own family and influences of his family. You see, families absolutely do help us. That's what God meant for families to be. Uh, they were places that tell us we're important. They remind us that we're loved. They tell us that we matter. Uh, they say that we have value, that we can contribute. They tell us why we are here. They remind us who put us here. A family is the birthplace of an individual's self-identity. Absolutely. But families, because of sin in the world and sin in us, are also very broken 
And consequently, the messages that families send are mixed and muddled and sometimes just plain messed up and wrong. The family is where children are supposed to learn about leadership and about authority and about discipline. Some families teach well on these matters. Some do not. No family ever always gets it right. In families, children learn that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. In families, children learn that certain things matter more than other things. They learn that certain people and things and routines need to be respected. Uh, How the children learn these lessons will determine how they relate to their teachers, their coaches, their fellow students, fellow workers, future spouses, people who are different than them, and for that matter, even how to relate to God. Children learn volumes from watching how their parents interact and relate to God. They really do. More from the unspoken than the spoken. Uh, The family is the birthplace of values and attitudes and priorities. By the time a child is a teenager, they pretty much know what is of ultimate importance to the parents. Dads and moms, your, your kids know just by watching you what matters to you most. They know if relationships matter by watching how you work to improve them or to patch them up or discard them. They know if success in the marketplace is your ultimate value by how and where you spend your time and energy. They know if pleasure is your primary motivator. They know if money is your measure of success by the things you choose to buy and pursue. They know if following God and Jesus is your primary priority by the choices you make and by the way you process your own sin and by whether you make God a practical priority in your day, in your week, in your month, in your year. And that's why when God starts discussing how we are to relate to each other, he starts with family. He calls us to consider how we relate to our parents, to our dads and to our moms. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you grew up in a home where mom and dad were more hateful and hurtful than anything else, where they were never there physically or emotionally or relationally or spiritually, or they were there, but the answers they gave you concerning things like love and nurture and acceptance and right and wrong and good and evil and God and Jesus were basically just bad, bad answers. Well, then I know that some of you have to be asking, how on earth do I obey a commandment to honor and to respect, to honor and to love my parents? My parents were awful and they wounded me deeply. I'm still recovering from that stuff. Do I just put on a happy face and pretend none of that stuff ever happened? Is that what God wants me to do? And the answer to that question, of course, is no. Of course not. That's not what God wants you to do. God does not want or expect us ever to honor our parents by ignoring and denying sin. In cases like that, what God really wants is honesty and truth, repentance and forgiveness And I'll tell you where attempts to make things right are rebuffed or are rejected. Well, then what God wants and expects is that we maintain and draw appropriate kinds of boundaries, healthy 
boundaries. And I found that many times when someone is wrestling with deep hurts or the scars that come from those kinds of things, they need to talk out those concerns with a mature, godly, biblical counselor. And I'll just tell you, that's what I've done at different times in my life. Uh, I've met with and talked to some counselors at at certain points uh, to process stuff I didn't understand and stuff I absolutely and certainly couldn't fix. There was one time uh, as an adult where I found out about abuse in my family. It wasn't abuse on me directly. It was sexual abuse on my sister. And boy, that rocked my world. And I met with and talked with a counselor to sort some of that stuff out. Been times in my life where I needed to talk with a counselor about marriage. As you can well imagine, if you know my wife. (laughs) She's not here this morning. (laughs) She's probably watching right now. (laughs) Uh, No, if you know us, uh, you know that Holly and I have had to hammer, uh, learn to hammer some things out instead of hammering each other. And, uh, Some counseling that we had helped us with that. Parenting issues. Met with a counselor on several occasions to just plow through some parenting issues. And those those times of counseling, I want to say to you, they were generally helpful. Do you hear the qualified response there? They weren't magic. They didn't just fix me or the situation. But they were generally helpful. Somebody reflecting with me, praying for me, and and helping me to see some things I perhaps didn't see. But I had to work on the stuff I was given from the context of that counseling and for that to actually produce any fruit. But they were generally really helpful. And I say that so that you'll understand my comments this morning. They're not directed really at at, uh, trying to fix deep dysfunctional situations. If that's where you find yourself when we talk about this subject, the parents and all, when you reflect on your past and it's deeply dysfunctional, lots of sinful circumstances, you probably need help to sort that out. You probably do. And you just need to know that we as a church would love to help you do that. Uh, You know, every once in a while when we have communion, we take uh, benevolence offerings and that's part of what that money is for. It's to help people who really want to change and grow and process difficulty in their life. And sometimes that needs to happen in the context of counseling. We love to help with that kind of stuff. So if that's you and you need that kind of help or you're looking for it, you know, talk to me, talk to Daniel, talk to someone here on staff and we'll try to help you get the help you need. But I want you to know, too, that in my comments today, I am more attempting to paint kind of the the big picture of what the fifth commandment wants and requires of us when it says honor your father and your mother. And so I'm assuming in my comments that you are, first of all, in a relationship with God and therefore you want to know his will. And in fact, you want to do it. In other words, you already want to obey the fifth commandment. That's my assumption. And I want to be as practical as I can be here uh, to give you something uh, very concrete to take away. And to do that, I'm going to reflect on a comment made by John Calvin. He's a 16th century uh, reformer, French reformer. He wrote some works that later became known as Calvin's Institute. Some of the best stuff I've ever read, to tell you the truth. And in it, when he's reflecting on the fifth commandment, he, he, he makes this uh, really great observation. This is what he says. He says, honoring your father and mother involves three things. He makes it very basic and very practical. It involves basically three things. 
Reverence, obedience, and gratitude. That's a good way of understanding uh, the fifth commandment, of coming at the fifth commandment. Reverence, obedience, and gratitude. Now, reverence is a word we don't even use a lot today. We, re we really don't. It's a word that simply means deep, deep respect. That's what the word means. To honor your parents is to respect them. Let's be honest. There are plenty of times when parents act in ways where they don't deserve respect. Is that true? Oh, it was just my family. <laughs> you know, I think back to my parenting days and, and some were good and some were not. To my chagrin, I remember times when I acted angrily. I remember times when I didn't listen. I remember times when I lacked patience. I lacked wisdom. I disciplined too harshly. At times when I was neglectful or preoccupied with myself, with the church, whatever. And many times I acted in ways where I certainly did not deserve respect, not in that moment, you see. But this command is not telling us to honor our parents only when they deserve it. It's actually telling us to honor more really the office of parenting, you see, the, the office that our parents hold. Understand, mom and dad have been given a literally impossible task to love and care for their children, sinful children, I might add. And they're called to that task in a sinful, broken, fallen world. And they are called to do this with a fallen, divided, broken heart. The point being, parents are going to make mistakes and lots of them. And unfortunately, sometimes some really bad mistakes. And so what do children have to learn? Well, children have to learn as they grow to give their parents time and space and patience so that they can give them forgiveness and respect. And they have to learn that, that respect will be given not because the parents have always earned it, but because of the difficult task that the parents have been given. You know, it's the same thing, that uh, same principle that we see unfold in uh, Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul writes about government authorities. He says, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. And what he really means there when he says conscience, he means because of God. That's what he's talking about, because of God. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Whether they've earned it or not, I might add. Now, here's the thing. Paul was writing to what church? The church at Rome who happens to be the emperor almost certainly on the throne at this point in time? It was Nero. And I can tell you Nero had earned little honor or respect, very little. He murdered his younger brother because he thought his younger brother might be a threat to him on the throne. He also, by the way, while he was at it, murdered his mother. Now he used Christians dipped in oil stuffed on a pole uh, to light his garden at night. He kicked his pregnant wife to death. He began a relationship then with a man he, is said, uh, he himself said because 
this man reminded him so much of his wife. This is the Roman emperor that Paul told his readers to respect and honor. Wow. You see, that honor was due to Nero, not because he had earned it, but because of his office, because God had put him there. And I don't know what else to say other than the fact that, you know, the parents you had in the providence of God, this was part of his big plan for you and for me. And I'm betting your parents were no more perfect than mine. Now, here again, hopefully all of our parents are a great deal better than Nero. But regardless, if we want to obey God, we must show them honor. And that means developing in us, in our hearts, in our minds, in the way that we act, an attitude of respect. Respect in the names we call them. When I was growing up, you would hear young people call their, their dad the old man. <laughs> that always bugged me for some reason. I don't know. It just seemed entirely disrespectful. I liked my dad growing up. And, uh, you know, the, the old man, I, I, you know, not saying you, you, if you use that term, you mean that as a term of disrespect, but uh, that's how that hit me. An attitude of respect needs to develop in how we speak to our parents and how we receive their advice and their instructions and their, their wishes. Proverbs is uh, full of exhortations to us to listen to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You've all heard the joke, the older I get, the smarter my parents become. Well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, that is actually true. You see, our parents, because they have lived longer and have processed more of life, its joys, its sorrows, its successes, and its failures than we have, uh, because of that, they seem wiser and wiser the older we get. Now, certainly, a lot depends on how they process those joys and sorrows, those ups and those downs. Did they process them with wisdom, with faith, with trust in God or not? And if they did, you would assume that more often their opinions and their ideas and that experience that they have, because of those things, we should seriously consider uh, what they say, even if we do at the end of the day disagree with them. We should respect them and respect their ideas. Another part of this respecting and honoring thing is, is kind of just displaying an attitude of cooperation with our parents. This is that obedience thing that Calvin was talking about. Remember, respect, obedience. This is that obedience thing. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And if you are living with your parents, if you're a minor living at home, practically speaking, of course, you are in almost every way under the authority of your parents. That's just a fact. But even regardless of your age, and I know this gets really messy and really tricky, probably refers to some of you here this morning. If you are an adult, but for various reasons, you find yourself uh, living back in the home of your parents, this honor and respect thing becomes very important. Obeying them might look different because of your age, but not a lot. Not a lot. You see, regardless of your age, if, if you're living at home under your parents' roof, if your parents need your help doing anything, laundry, picking up the house, taking out the trash, helping with the dishes, you know, mowing the grass. Well, have an attitude of cooperation and that means do it. Do it to the best of your ability. 
It's just a way of showing respect and honor. It's also a way of showing gratitude. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Now, if you're a child and a minor living at home, and that would mean you're probably still going to school, well, then following your parents' rules and respecting their authority and having an attitude of cooperation is exactly how you honor God and them. That's exactly how you do it. That's exactly how you grow to become more like Jesus. You know, when Jesus was 12 years old, his family made a trip to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And uh, they lost Jesus for a time. It's a great story to go read. We're not going to look at that part. But once they found him and they were now headed back to Nazareth, this is what we read. It says, Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now think about that for a moment. If ever there was a case of a righteous child having to live in a home with unrighteous parents, this is it. This is it. Imagine the number of times that Jesus could have pointed out to Joseph and Mary that they were sinning. You're sinning again. Oh, your parenting there is awful. Sorry, that's terrible. Uh, you're wrong. I'm right. Think how often he could have said that. But we're told instead that he was submissive to them. That, that speaks volumes, friends. You see, he had an attitude. He cultivated an attitude of honoring and respecting and obeying his parents. Even, I would presume, when he was right and they were wrong. Now, to children of all ages, I would say having this kind of attitude will go a long way toward making the atmosphere in your home what it should be. Namely, one where, where love is obvious and joy is present and peaceful and patience. All those things, fruits of the Spirit, actually, where the fruits of the Spirit are on display. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. We all want our families to evidence those kinds of fruits of the Spirit. Well, one of the things required for that to happen in a home is that we develop an attitude of cooperation. We seek to obey our parents. Now, just a word about gratitude or showing appreciation. Calvin knew something of which he spoke. I think he's exactly right here when he says that gratitude is part of honoring our parents. The Apostle Paul instructed... Um, the Thessalonian church, this is a passage I'm sure many of you are familiar with. He says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, a mark of any maturing Jesus follower, young or old, doesn't matter. Regardless, your circumstances doesn't matter. A mark of a, of a growing Jesus follower is displaying an attitude of joyous appreciation to the people around you, in particular, your parents. You see, nobody ever has or ever will make a bigger investment in your life than your parents, period. Now, a lot of times you don't understand or realize that until you're a parent. I mean, mothers and dads spend countless, countless hours earning a living, making meals, cleaning up after meals, doing dishes, doing laundry, changing diapers, tying shoes, cleaning and picking up the house, 
caring for sick kids, wiping snotty noses, dirty bottoms, helping with homework, reading to their children, taking kids to sports activities, teaching them about God and about what matters. I read an article that said that raising a child from, you know, zero, age one day old to age 18 uh, has a, a cost of about a quarter of a million dollars assigned to it. It would make you ask, why do parents do this? <laughs> That's a lot of yucky stuff. That's expensive. Why do parents do this? And the answer is pretty straightforward. It's simply because something happens in the hearts of an ordinary mom or dad that just causes them to love their son, their daughter, their children. You see, the typical parent would do almost anything to help their child thrive. Parenting is just such a huge investment of time, of energy, of money, of emotion, of prayer, of care, of planning, of dreaming, of concern, being always concerned for your children, regardless what age they are. Few parents, however, regret any of it, really. Parents are glad to do all these things and more for their children if it will help them grow, help them thrive, help them survive. It's safe to say no one has or ever will make an investment in you the way your parents have. No one. You know how you can deeply injure the heart of your mom or your dad? Just don't care. Just act like you deserve all that. Just don't be grateful. Don't show any appreciation. Act like you're owed all of these things. That's an attitude that kills parents. And I think it also deeply disappoints our God when we act that way. You see, if we want to obey the fifth commandment, then showing gratitude and appreciation is absolutely essential. I think Calvin got it exactly right. Honoring our mothers and our fathers is all about respecting them, obeying them whenever we can, and being grateful for them. And if you're all grown up, if you no longer live at home, uh, your parents are still living, just a word to you as well on this. Some people might tell you that this commandment has basically nothing any longer to do with you. And I would say, oh, wrong, way wrong. There's a marvelous cycle that happens within a family. When children are born, of course, they are entirely dependent upon their parents. And over time, the children become then independent of their parents. But what happens eventually is the parents become dependent upon their children in many ways. I watched uh, for many years growing up, uh, even after I had left home, I watched how my parents took care of their aging parents. As the parents aged, I, I watched them vacation and go on holidays and birth, you know, have birthday parties and anniversary celebrations, all kinds of special family gatherings together with their aging parents. I, I watched them take turns even looking after them when they became ill. The point is just this, there is no greater testimony of love than when children turn around and take care of their parents. This is honoring the father and mother at the other end of life's cycle. It's exactly what Jesus did, exactly. 
in the hour of his agony, when he was hanging on the cross, he was bearing your sins and mine. He was being mocked. Jesus sees his mother, Mary, and he only speaks seven times from the cross. One of those times was about his mother. In John chapter 19, apparently Joseph, the father, is out of the picture by now. And Jesus knows, of course, that he is about to die and his mother was going to be without the support of her oldest son. We don't know all the circumstances here. I wish we did. It would be interesting. I mean, he had other brothers. He had sisters. Jesus did. Uh, But for some reason, Jesus knows that his mother is really vulnerable because of what's about to happen to him. And this is what we read. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, this is John, the apostle John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple, John, took her into his home. How cool is that? Jesus was taking care of his aging mother right up to the moment of his death while even he was dying for her sin. It's a great testament of love. So friends, figure out, here's the point, figure out how uh, your, your aging parents need to be honored. Communication. Communicate with them, affirm your love for them regularly, whether through, I don't know, emails, handwritten notes, calls on the phone, get-togethers, whatever. The truth is all of us eventually or someday will get that call. It'll be too late. I got that call. Dwayne, mom's dead. It's a call nobody wants to get. And I'll tell you, at that, friends, at that moment, friends, uh, you don't want important things left unsaid. You don't want gratitude left unexpressed. You want the knowledge that you obeyed the fifth commandment. Yes, not perfectly, of course, not by a long shot, but you consistently wrestled with how you could best honor your mother and your father. Even if it was difficult to do it. Even if much of your relationship was unhealthy and needed boundaries and required massive amounts of forgiveness, you still want to honor your father and mother. Now, you'll notice in this passage we read something kind of odd. That in the keeping of this commandment, there are certain promises This is what it says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honestly, I'm not sure what exactly is being promised there. Some would say long life is being promised. That may be, that may be right. Certainly some blessing is being hinted at that by honoring your father and mother, a blessing is going to attend to you, uh, I, I would just add to this, the commentators aren't sure about this either because I checked. No, nobody's quite exactly sure what's being promised here. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather have my days long rather than short. Any of you with me on that? And I would rather know that as I enter the land, whatever that means. Now, for the Israelites, that meant entering the land. But for us, it doesn't mean that. But, but you know, I, I would also want to have the confidence that my days will be blessed as opposed to not. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. See, there is blessing that comes from keeping this commandment of honoring your father and mother. The scriptures say so. That is clear to me. Now, just one more thing and then we'll be done. I want to ask you, who's giving us this command? Who's giving us this? Yeah. 
our Heavenly Father is giving us this command. Our Maker, our God, the one who is holy and just and good, uh, He's our Maker, He's our Provider, He's our Rescuer, He's our Redeemer, He's our Teacher, He is also our Judge. There is this really frightening passage in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that reads like this. It's shocking to us today. Here's what it says. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. And they shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. He's out of control. He's reckless. And then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Oh, yeah, you bet. Afraid of what? Afraid of justice. In particular, the justice of God, the justice that, any and that each and every one of us deserve when we break the law of God. Now, here's the truth about all of us. We are all horrendous breakers of the fifth commandment, especially as it relates to our heavenly father. Think about this. We don't reverence him. Frequently, we choose not to obey him. And we're not grateful to him the way we should be. And what each and every one of us deserve is a real good stoning. We deserve death. And that's true about you and that's true about me. It's true about all of us. And yet when Jesus wanted us to understand the love that our heavenly father has for us, he told a story. We refer to it as the prodigal son. You're familiar with it. It was a scandalous story. And it's all about a son who demanded his inheritance. I want what's mine, what I deserve, what you owe me, dad. And this son ran away from home, became a glutton, a drunkard, lived a profligate lifestyle. And yet at precisely the point where the father should have dragged that son before the elders of the city and declared his sins publicly and had the men of the city stone his sinful son to death. Instead, this father says, Jesus, while his son was a long way off, sees his son and was filled with compassion for him. And we're told he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then he said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Friends, we're told that the reason Jesus tells this story is because there were some people around Jesus in his hearing that day who were absolutely sure that God wanted nothing to do with sinful, 
fallen sons and daughters. Nothing to do with lawbreakers. Nothing to do with broken, fallen, sinful people. And that's why Jesus told this story. So that prodigals like you and me would understand the scandalous love of our heavenly father. A love that sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. So that our sins, which are many, could be forgiven. You see, (laughs) this is good news, is it not, for wayward children? This is the gospel. This is why we gather on a Sunday. This is what we celebrate. This is the good news. This is how our heavenly father loves us, his wayward children. Therefore, we honor him. Therefore, we we obey him. And therefore, we are grateful to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, your love for us is so utterly undeserved and so entirely overwhelming. Many of us, God, are pretty clear what we deserve. We deserve a good stoning. And yet you love us and forgive us and bring us into relationship with you. Would you help us, God, to turn around and be able to show that kind of love to each other and in particular to our fathers and our mothers. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.